Welcome, friends. Leona with you for another podcast of Country Music Conversations. This week's featured guest is Hank Thompson. You know, there are many country music bands, but there are a certain amount that feature Western swing, like Spade Cooley, Bob Wills, Milton Brown and the Brownies, Asleep at the Wheel, Riders in the Sky, and finally, Hank Thompson and his Brazos Valley Boys. If Bob Wills was dubbed the king of Western swing, then Hank Thompson certainly was the prince of Western swing. But before we start this conversation, here are a few words from our sponsor. Country Music Conversations with Lee Arnold's podcast is made possible by our sponsor, Marketsmith, Inc., the digital media agency that's been growing brands like Toomey, Shark Ninja, New Jersey Lottery, PSE&G, Blue Mercury Cosmetics, and Dick Sporting Goods. You know what makes this agency so good at what they do? Because simply being a marketing agency is no longer enough. Solution-based, problem-solving, and ever-evolving, they create enduring value for DTC and B2B brands by opening up and growing marketing channels. Their patented AI offerings, informed by human intelligence, allow them to act with agility and intellect. I was speaking with the CEO not too long ago, and she was saying they take on clients who know who they are, who want to grow, and clients that know what they want. These big brands choose MarketSmith because they want to merge with a partner who'll make them exceptional and an agency that will grow their revenue. Digital marketing is not easy, but MarketSmith Inc. knows when to make the media dollars work hard for their clients. You have a brand you want to grow? Well, contact MarketSmith.com and tell them Lee Arnold sent you. Hank was born in Waco, Texas, and he loved music early on. He used to play his harmonica, and as a result, he won many harmonica contests. He really was a triple threat, musician, singer, and songwriter, whose career spanned over 70 years. His style was characterized as honky-tonk western swing, which featured smooth baritone vocals. His western swing band was voted the top band for 14 years in a row. The main difference between Hank Thompson and Bob Wills was that Hank used a swing beat and instrumentation to enhance his vocals, while Bob Wills encouraged the intense instrumental solos from his musicians. Hank remained a recording artist and concert draw well into his 80s. He served in the Navy during World War II, and after discharge, he had a few regional hits and decided to pursue a full-time music career. He signed with Capitol Records, and he had a number one hit called The Wild Side of Life, after which Kitty Wells recorded the answer record, It Wasn't God Who Made Honky Tonk Angels. That was followed by a string of big hits for Hank Thompson in the 60s and 70s, all the while singing in a honky-tonk style, emphasizing the dance beat with his meticulous arrangements. From 1947 to 1964, he recorded for Capitol Records. Then he joined Warner Brothers Records for three years, then had a stint with ABC, Dot, and finally MCA Records. The 1987 novel Crazy Heart was inspired by Hank's life. 
In 2009, the novel was turned into a successful film starring Jeff Bridges, who won an Academy Award for his performance. Hank became a member of the Country Music Hall of Fame in 1989 and the Nashville Songwriters Hall of Fame in 1997. He continued touring until he became ill. His last public performance took place on October 8, 2007, in Waco, Texas, where he was born. Later that month, he was diagnosed with lung cancer and passed away on November 6, 2007, at the age of 82. Through the years, Hank and I had many conversations. Actually, one of my favorites is when we chatted at Michael Martin Murphy's Westfest in 1988. The subject matter was amazing. He spoke about Western swing, how he discovered Wanda Jackson, his influences in country music, and his take on the best country song ever written. Let's eavesdrop now on that conversation with Hank Thompson. Lee Arnold, we're backstage at Westfest 88, Michael Martin Murphy's event here in the beautiful Rocky Mountains of the Copper Mountain Resort with the epitome and the embodiment of what country music is all about. The star of today's Labor Day show, none other than Hank Thompson. Hank, it's so good to be with you, friend. Lee, my pleasure once again to be with you. Uh, we've uh, had the opportunity of visiting many times, but it's been a while, hasn't it? Boy, have we had many, many firsts. It sure has been a while, Hank. When I think of the history of country music, I tell you, your name figures so prominently in the development of country music, as far as not only the hits of the 50s and the 60s and the 70s, but also the, the contributions that you made, uh, making the public aware of uh, one of the most important forms of country music, which was Western Swing, and all the great songs and the hits that you had over the years. Uh, when you look back now and kind of reminisce, are you kind of satisfied about the career? Uh, very much so. I, uh, it was a challenge, I'll put it that way, because Western Swing was a thing that was kind of situated there in the Texas, Oklahoma, Southwest, and then on to the West Coast uh, when, the, when the war came along. But uh, it was, been, was kind of regional, and so I had the opportunity to uh, take Western Swing and spread it around the world. And uh, that's sort of a thing that had never been, well, really uh, hadn't been exposed to the people that, uh, like Bob Wills and and Leon McAuliffe and Spade Cootie and people like that didn't really tour that much. You know, they just played right down in that area. So they never really had the opportunity to take it uh, uh, around the world like I have. You really had the opportunity at that time of not only featuring yourself, but also your band, the Brazos Valley Boys. And they were a very important part of country music, as you say, in the Southwest and Texas and Oklahoma, because people in those days, when a band came out, they not only listened to you, but they danced to you. That's right. That was the thing about, that was the difference in, uh, in the Western swing and just really uh, pure country like Grand Ole Opry, uh, that uh, in the Southwest, the people like to dance. And they, they'd go to the old uh, uh, Legion halls and the uh, community buildings and the uh, uh, outdoors whatever barns or whatever place you could get a place big enough get have a get together and listen to that music and dance to it and that's why that that uh we used you know drums and uh, of course that's commonplace now but back then it wasn't so uh, to have the big sound of a band and twin fiddles and steel guitar and we used some horns trumpets and stuff like that so it uh, it gave a big sound to country music and we featured the the sounds of those instruments, and that's the thing that you know uh, you don't hear a lot of today. Is just mainly just the vocal and the uh, uh, you know kind of composite sound. And you don't really hear the individual musicians like you used to. 
the band was equally important as the guy who fronted the band, whether it was yourself or Bob Wills or Leon McAuliffe or uh, Milton Brown and the Brownies or whoever. Yeah, that's right. That was the the fact that we did a lot of instrumentals. I recorded a lot of instrumental songs, and and uh, it it was really kind of a carryover from your. Uh, from your big band days of the of the twenties and thirties of your Dorseys and Glenn Millers and uh, Artie Shaw and people like that, uh, uh, and then in their case, the vocalist was an incidental part. You know, they just uh, you know you you I remember the old records would say uh, on their uh, uh, you know what the song was and they'd say featuring so and so on the vocal Frank Sinatra on the vocal. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that's really amazing. Uh, when we think about country music and we think about Hank Thompson, there are many thoughts that go through my mind. You were responsible for discovering an awful lot of stars uh, that owe a lot of their career to Hank Thompson, who recognized talent when he saw it. And one name that just pops into my head immediately was early on, you discovered Wanda Jackson way back when. Yeah, Wanda was just a high school uh, a girl, uh, a teenager there in, in Oklahoma City, and she had her own radio program. And... Uh, I'd heard her, and uh, so I was playing the train on ballroom there, uh, uh, you know, on kind of a regular basis. And so she'd come up and uh, and sing with my band on Saturday nights. And and uh, so when one summer when she was out of school, I took her on tour. In fact, I took her to New York, and we were playing the playing Frank Daddy's Meadowbrook. We had a whole tour back up in that part of the country, and uh, so uh, Wanda really kind of got. Uh, uh, got broke into show business. What what was ahead of it in the years to come on that tour? <laughs> there were so many other acts and so many other stars that you came in contact with over the years, Hank. And I'm sure that you had your influences too in country music when you first started out. Who really was the influences that influenced you when you got started? Well, the the first influence I can remember was Jimmy Rogers. Uh, when I used to go down to a neighbor lady's house and listen to the old wind up Victrola, listen to the Jimmy Yodel, pick the guitar and yodel and and uh, I think that's one of the reasons, and also Vernon Dial Hart. And I think that's one of the uh, uh, reasons that I uh, that I have a good diction in my singings because well, I was just a little boy, and I and the only way I could learn the songs was hear them because I didn't go to school yet. I couldn't read or write, so I had to listen to the song. So if I couldn't understand the words, then I couldn't learn the song. So I think it was a thing that I realized that if I was singing, then I must do the same thing, or people couldn't, if they can't understand what I'm doing, well then, so, and that, and I've got an old uh, wind-up Victrola, uh, and I've got one of those cylinder records, really? and I've got some records on there, Vernon Dialhart, and you put those on, and I'd go in the next room, and you'd understand every word that he says, which is something that you can't say about most of the records you hear on radio today. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. What was the turning point in your career? What was the big discovery? What made the difference in establishing Hank Thompson? Uh, well, I think it was the fact that I uh, was successful at doing what I was doing. Uh, uh, of course, that sounds like kind of a general statement, but uh, uh, I, I was in the, the Navy, and, and I had my guitar along, and I got out of service, and I was going to go back to... Uh, college, returned to, returned to school and got a degree in electrical engineering and was going to kind of pursue that, but I liked the guitar and, and pick it and sing and so uh, when I got out I went on the radio and I became so successful with it and then got and then recorded and was successful with that that I said, well this is what I want to do. So like I said, the fact that I was successful had I not re, uh, gotten uh, a response I probably would not have pursued it on further, you know. Was there any one individual responsible for getting Hank signed to Capitol Records? Because that was the first big one for you. Yeah, uh, Hal Horton, who had the uh, Hillbilly Hit Parade up in KRLD in Dallas. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, he I'd, I'd taken my first record Woe Sailor up there to him. He was he played it. And he got to be number one on his hit parade, and uh, uh, and then Tex Ritter came through uh, on the tour, and I got to work with Tex and and Hal Horton uh, called attention to Tex Ritter, and Tex heard me, and so. He went back to California and told him that I was down there and was quite popular in that area and thought that uh, I might make him a good prospect. And so uh, that's how it came about. 1948, a very pivotal year in the career of Hank Thompson. Uh, probably one of the most famous of all standards that you've ever recorded was a song near and dear to you because of what it said, Oklahoma Hills. Yeah, that was, uh, of course, I... I uh, well, not a native Okie, but I, I've been living... Uh, I lived there for about 35 years. I just... Uh, Moved back to Texas a couple of years ago, uh, but um, was very dear to me because you know Oklahoma was awfully good to me, and uh, it was a, a really a turning point in my career. Uh, I, I was, you know, it had quite a few hit records and things, and uh, it done all right. To, but when I moved to Oklahoma, to Oklahoma City, and uh, it just seemed like things happened. You know, I really it, it just like a, I moved to another level in in the business, to another echelon. And uh, and from that point on, that's when I really began to develop the Western Swing Band and had the big uh, hit on Wild Side of Life. And uh, uh, and we we got on uh, had a couple of network radio shows and then not too long after that got on television. So it seemed like that Oklahoma represented, you know, uh, the really the the springboard to being really uh, uh, important in this business. Was that a Woody Guthrie song? Yeah. Yeah. Woody wrote that. His brother Jack recorded it. It's popular back during the war, and uh, I picked it up. And you know, you sing it all the time, and uh, so. Uh, but a lot of people, you know, they they don't really remember that. Uh, remember the Jack Guthrie record, I guess, because it's probably a lot of people. Uh, I'm sure don't remember that uh, Elton Britt recorded "Blue Eyes Crying in the Rain" and not Willie Nelson, you know. <laughs> and you could go on to a lot of other songs, you know, because there's a lot of songs that were done way back there, and and uh, you know, it's it's. Uh, a thing that you got other generations come along, and they, they weren't there when that happened. Don't remember it. Wild Satellite will always get down as one of the most well-known signature songs that you've ever done, of all the songs you've done. And I think that was around 1952, and it was the answer to the Kitty Wells song, uh, Honky Tonk. Well, hers was the answer. Hers right. was the answer to you, actually. Right. Yeah. In fact, that's what really launched her career. Yeah. Uh, she, she really had, uh, uh, had kind of retired because uh, uh, that time the team of Johnny and Jack and... Uh, uh, and uh, of course, Johnny being her husband, and uh, uh, Jack uh, did the duet thing. They had some big hits, you know, Poison Love and Ashes of Love and those things, and they were very popular. And Kitty was just kind of a oh, uh, part of the act. She'd get up and sing a few songs, you know. She was, uh, and then so she said, Well, my gosh, uh, y'all are the act. And so she, so Johnny heard, heard this, somebody brought him this answer. So he said, told Kitty, said, uh, Y'all are cautious. Oh, I don't want to do that. Says, uh, says uh, you know, said, Well, uh, at least you get union scale if you go down and do the record session. <laughs> so, and it really, really uh, that kicked open the door. And she was really the first uh, first girl vocalist to really uh, gain nationwide recognition. And uh, I think, but before that, uh, old Patsy Montana had done you know a yodeling thing or that type of thing, and so had uh, like Rosalie Allen. And right. but they were mainly known as yodelers. And uh, uh, Bob Wills had Laura Lee McBride and. Uh, uh, Spade Cooley had uh, Carolina Cotton, something, but they, but they these were not they were not the notoriety of the real country music singer like like Kitty Wells, and so when she came along and was so popular, I think that's what kicked open the door. And uh, if it hadn't been for that song and Kitty Wells, 
uh, we might not have the Dolly Partons and Tammy Wynette's or Reba McIntyre's today. That's for sure. How did the inspiration for Wild Side of Life come along for you? Well, uh, well I didn't write it. Uh, but uh, there was a band. I, I didn't do the original record of it. It was done by Jimmy Heap and the Melody Masters, a band out of Taylor, Texas. And uh, they recorded it on a... a Imperial, no, uh, I forget what the record label was, Four Star or something like that. Maybe that's what it was. Anyhow, it was not a very big label. You know, they didn't distribute very widely, and also the quality of the record technically was not good. Uh, but the song was popular. And uh, so my wife at that time, Dorothy, uh, uh, heard this thing. She says, you ought to do it. And I said, oh, well, that's just old speckled bird and thinking down my blue eyes with some new lyrics to it. And she says, yeah, but says his voice right down your line and says, you've got good words to it. And so uh, I said, well, okay, we were doing some audition stuff. I was going to take to California to record. And I said, well, let's do this thing. So I rewrote the second and third verses to it. And I took it out. I said, this song's really popular in Texas. And Ken Nelson, uh, that was his first session to do with me. And he wasn't all that impressed either. He said, uh, well, I don't know. It's, uh, you know, like this idea has been done. Uh, but I said, you know, it is good. So we did it, but we released it as the B side of the record. And uh, the A side was crying in the deep blue sea. And it went to number one. And it was on its way out. We already had another record coming out. So they started turning it over, and the record was out like about four months before it ever went to number one. So it was really a sleeper. <laughs> it's amazing the variety of songs you've done over the years, Hank, that have been tremendous hits and that are so close to country fans everywhere. And there was a period in your recording career when you did those lighthearted songs that country fans at that time seemed to relate to. Songs like Squaws Along the Yukon and Humpty Dumpty Heart that are as fresh today in 1980 as they were when they were done way back in the 50s and 60s. Well, they're good songs. And uh, they're, you know, uh, that's why that, that uh, Willie Nelson and people like that go by and pick up some of these old tunes and make them hits again because they're good songs. And uh, uh, so, uh, you know, that's, uh, my gosh, Ricky Van Shelton taking that old Roger Miller thing from 25 years ago. And uh, so it, it, that's not uncommon when you got some good songs like that. And uh, gosh, I've had uh, hit after hit on on, <laughs> on six pack to go. Every few years, if I need a hit, I go record it again. <laughs> that turned out to be a surprise. Was that a surprise for you? Or did you feel that that was right down the alley for Hank Thompson? No, I knew that song had to be a hit. Now, that one wasn't a sleeper. That one, we, we knew that one had to go. What's the song that surprised you most that turned out to be one of your biggest hits? Uh, well, let's see. I think maybe uh, in uh, probably Wild Side Life's one of them. Uh, I think one of the others was uh, Yesterday's Girl. I, I was not, uh, I thought it was a nice ballad, but I didn't ever think it would be as popular as it was. But that's one Ken Nelson liked. And uh, he said he leaned a lot towards those ballads. And, uh, so I said, well, we got this one, and uh, so we'll do it. But I, I wasn't all that impressed. I thought I'd had better songs. But, you know, that's the thing about it. You never know about a song until you get it cut. Uh, you can sit around the guitar and sing it. You can look at the lyrics, and you think it's going to be good. Uh, but until you get that band arrangement, get the, the record cut, get the sound, and then hear the finished product, a lot of times I've had songs that I thought, boy, these have got to be good, and seem like they just don't come off on the record. And another song that, uh, well, Black Board of My Heart was one that uh, we just did as an incidental thing. And it turned out uh, we, we, we had cut four songs. And Ken Nelson said, we got about 15 minutes left. You got another song. I said, yeah, I got this one. Because that turned out to be the best song that we did on the session. <laughs> and, then, and that was just uh, incidental. But until we got a cut on it, it just came off. You know. So, In your era, we had so many great stars. Yourself, Ray Price, Buck Owens, 
Hank Williams, Lefty Frizzell, Webb Pierce, Little Jimmy Dickens. Today, the Reba McIntyres, the Randy Travises, the Willie Nelsons, uh, and on and on. The state of country music today and the artists and the singers, Hank, as good as the veterans and the pioneers such as yourself, or what do you think? Do they measure up? Well, I think they uh, they do. You know, this is another era. You've got a different uh, group of listeners. Uh, we have a better technical uh, production on our records than we used to have, and uh, you can do more with them. Uh, and I think that uh, that certainly uh, we've got a lot of good people like the Raven McIntyre and uh, and George Strait and uh, Ricky Van Sheldon's coming along and mm-hmm. and uh, Randy Travis and people that do characterize the uh, the the real country music voice about. I think that uh, some of the other uh, performers or acts uh, have kind of taken a tangent from that bass and taken it off in other directions and where it's really kind of a far cry from country, but they they call it that. But but it, you know it does kind of broaden the base of listeners. The, uh, I have no objection to that. The only uh, objection I have is whenever uh, radio stations or markets or whatever uh, use that as the standard and and to the exclusion of the other. In other words, if they go play uh, Alabama or an Exile and won't play a Randy Travis, then I say, well, then don't call it country then. Exactly. Call it something else. But if you're going to call it country, then you should play all the country records. The advantage you had, along with other acts like Lefty Frizzell and Webb Pierce and many others, was being a performer and also a songwriter. You wrote a lot of the great hits that you sang. Do you think that the Billy Sherrill and many other great producers have said, it all begins with the song? Well, that's for sure. You know, the, the song is it. Uh, now you have to have somebody to uh, that can perform it. But uh, you definitely got to have the song. And... Uh, uh, if that if that weren't the case, then uh, then every song would be a hit. <laughs> so uh, that that not being the case, then it must be uh, primarily the song. But you can't take a a bad rendition of a good song and make it a hit. It has to have a good rendition by a good artist that fits that artist that style. Uh, and really, when you get down to the bottom line, they of all the songs that come out, very few of them are really good. Very good. Uh, you have some a few outstanding songs each year, and that's about the size of it. So the rest of the songs are really attempts. Uh, I think that if I hadn't have written songs, I would not have been able to have gotten in, in the business at my time because uh, we didn't have the songwriters back then. And if you didn't write your own things, like uh, uh, like Jimmy Rogers wrote all those things that he recorded, uh, Ernest Tubb wrote his early things, uh, Bob Wills and Tommy Duncan wrote a lot of the things that they did, or they adapted some of the old standards and mm-hmm. and put words to them and reveal, you know. So uh, uh, that that really was kind of a base from which uh, many of them sprung. Like say Lefty Fazell, gosh, he wrote all those things that that he recorded. Uh, so uh, it, uh, being a songwriter is definitely uh, an asset in this business even today. Best country song you think that was ever written or you ever heard, whether it was yours or somebody else's, if you had to pick one, which one would it be? God, that would be a question almost impossible uh, to answer. I, you know, I, I never even given it much thought. Is How about the top three? The songs that you just really like, you know, uh, you talking about my songs or yeah. just of anybody's oh, songs? Uh, gosh, uh, you know, I just like to think of songs off the top of my head. You know, I think, of course, San Antonio Rose had to be one of the classics that's ever been done. Uh, uh, I, I like the, uh, Marty Robbins had a tune that, uh, sing me something sentimental. I thought it was just a, a classic of, of, 
of a country song and a ballad. Uh, there have been some of the great things uh, that I enjoyed. Uh, uh, well, the glowworm that uh, I had, uh, the Mills Brothers did, all those lyrics that Johnny Mercer wrote to it. I were just uh, the cleverest thing you could think of. Uh, there have been some, you know, beautiful, uh, of course, Stardust has to be one of the all-time classic songs ever written. White Christmas. Uh, you know, I guess you can just sit here and we just keep thinking. Yeah, boy, those, those are good songs. Yeah. And if we stop and add up the tally, how many millions of records it's only that, and, and therein lies the proof. <laughs> I think the fact that you've been so educated, Hank, and had such an open mind as far as not only country music but other music as well has helped your career. I know at one time you even did a whole album of Nat King Cole songs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, uh, uh, of course, the, the Mills Brothers things fell real well with, with country beat because a lot of those things were were pretty simple songs, you know, like Cab Driver and... and, and uh, uh, so is uh, Glowworm. It's, it's a very simple little melody. And, uh, uh, oh, you always hurt the one you love and things like that. Those songs are not difficult to sing. And they're easy to put into a to a good 2-4 beat and uh, or waltz, as the case might be. Uh, and But Nat King Cole's songs, uh, not all of his were that adaptable. I had to kind of filter out. I, 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 I couldn't find a way in the world to use a fiddle and steel guitar and do Nature Boy. <laughs> <laughs> but Mona Lisa, of course, it flows real well as a country ballad. Uh, uh, some of the other things, uh, uh, Ramblin' Rose is just an old three-chord country song. And so, you know, uh, a lot of his things, the paper, paper Moon, you know. Oh. One of your best was back in 1974 called The Older the Violin, The Sweeter the Music. That's a cute little old song. That's just a little old two-chord song and uh, uh, one that you can clap your hands to. And uh, that was one I figured, you know, how can you miss on that? Everybody can identify with it, and uh, you can snap your fingers to it, and everybody can sing it, and everybody can pick it. So, you know, that's the kind of tunes that you really look for. I guess if I had to classify one Hank Thompson all-time classic of mine would be Honky Tonk Girl that epitomized the time it was written around the mid-50s, around 1954, and the feeling of what it said. It was a very special song. Yeah. Actually, that would predated the uh, Wild Side of Life. Uh, yeah. uh, Chuck Horning wrote that song back in the, uh, back in the uh, 40s. And uh, he was singing on the radio station in Waco, and I heard him do the tune, and I always liked it. And I used to sing it all the time. And Ray Price was the one that, uh, uh, he heard me do the thing. He says, why don't you ever record that song? I said, man, that's the best old honky-tonk tune going. And so I kind of rewrote it a little bit. And I said, well, I believe it will. I'd sing it all the time anyhow. And uh, so I was just a, a, a really too long getting around to it. It was still a big hit, but I should have had it years before that. <laughs> Hank, if there's a legacy for Hank Thompson in your music, and there certainly is, what's the one thing you and your music want to be remembered for? Well, I think for the styling, for the individuality, and I think that that's the the best trademark that you can leave. I I, uh, I would hate to be uh, characterized after having done all these records and songs and nobody remember who did them. You know, that they can say, well, uh, you know, The Wild Side Life was a Hank Thompson song. And not just, well, I remember Six Pack Go, but I don't remember who sang it. You know, like how many people can remember who did Sioux City Sue? but they remember the song. So, uh, you know, I would uh, that's be, be characterized as my music, that to where that they would recognize the name even before they would the songs. Uh, and because then I feel as though that I personally would have done something that would have brought people uh, uh, an area of things that they couldn't get anywhere else. And it was, it was mine and what I liked, and they liked it too. Impressions of great artists that are no longer with us, who you work with and knew intimately. Hank Williams. What was he like? Uh, Hank was a 
to say that he was an, uh, a unique individual, it would be really just kind of uh, nondescript. Uh, Hank Williams is, uh, uh, my impression of him was he was a man who was uh, very confident uh, on the outside. Not really too sure of himself on his inside, but on the outside, he he let you know that he knew what he was doing. And when he picked up a guitar and started to wail that song, he knew what he was doing, and he he knew that you recognized what he was doing. And I think one of the things that, that Hank Williams has remembered so much for his songs, but very few people ever talk about what a dynamic entertainer he was. Hank Williams was, uh, I worked a lot of shows with him. He was tremendous on the stage. He, uh, and I think there again, that, uh, uh, I don't call it cockiness, but it was just uh, self-assurance. Self when he'd walk on the stage, he knew they were going to like it. And there was no question about it. And, and, and if they didn't, he didn't give a damn. You know, and he left that attitude. You know, I'm going to do it. Now, if you don't like it, that's your problem, not mine, because I know it's good. And and he, he just kind of left that in the audience, uh, respected him for it. And uh, he just, he, he could get away with a lot of things to an audience, you know, that, uh, that a lot of people couldn't because he exuded this this uh, this characteristic. And, uh, and he also had a tremendous ear for what people like to hear. That's for sure. What about Jim Reeves? Uh, Jim uh, was really kind of one of my protégés. You know, he started out uh, singing my songs, and because uh, uh, his voice was similar to mine, and uh, he would, uh, you know, do did a lot of my old tunes and things. And he uh, did get that Mexican Joe, which was not really typical of Jim Reeves. You know, it was uh, a fast up tempo tune, and and Jim was better on the balance. And uh, he was uh, certainly had one of the most pleasing voices of anybody that's ever been in our industry. Uh, and, uh, he was, a, uh, you know, uh, uh, they called him, you know, the gentleman Jim, he was, he was a nice person to, to work, work with on the stage. And, uh, I had the opportunity of associating with him quite a bit. And, uh, I felt like I, I lost a friend when he went. They say that Jim was a perfectionist in every sense of the word, as far as songs were concerned, the way they were written and the way there was going to be sung. They said he lived with the song for months before he recorded it. Yeah, he really did, and and that for by virtue of that, uh, he probably had the reputation maybe among some of the musicians as being kind of hard to work for. Uh, but he insisted on everything being to the letter. Uh, of course, I was another one, but not quite that much of a stigler because I knew that that mistakes was going to be made, and also I made enough of myself that I couldn't hold uh, expect perfection from everybody else. But Jim was one who did expect perfection from everyone, and uh, if it wasn't, he was. Uh, pretty uh to the point about it you know with with the musicians and things hank there have been many highlights and outstanding moments in your career if you had a pinpoint probably the most exciting point in your career or the biggest thrill you ever had what would that be that gave you the most satisfaction that the uh, of course <clears throat> we're asked that question i guess to anybody that's in any any kind of profession there's bound to be a highlight somewhere uh, however, I've been so fortunate to have a lot of highlights, <laughs> you know, a lot of great things happened and I'm very appreciative and very thankful for, uh, and, and, uh, I couldn't really single one out of saying this is greater than anything else because there are a lot of great things happened. But one, uh, that impressed me was, uh, when I went to Japan and, uh, you know, I, I, this was not, my, I'd been to Europe, but I'd never been over, you know, over the Asia, in Asia. And I can understand the people over in, uh, in Europe, you know, uh, like, cause they speak English, 
you know, and of course, not, 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 I don't mean that just because of England, but I mean other countries. Germany, they speak a lot of English there. They speak it in the, uh, all your Scandinavian countries. You know, it's, it's a second language. So I could understand them identify, but I couldn't understand the Orientals because there, there's, there's nothing in common there. Our, our roots come from Europe, so I can understand that. So that's why that, that I was so impressed that they could find uh, an, an, an affinity with my songs. Mm-hmm. And uh, what they did, they printed the lyrics in Japanese and gave them to the people like you would if you went to an opera. You know, and they give you the whole opera. Maybe the opera may be sung in Italian, but you got the English version, so you can go along with it, you know. So uh, that was more or less what I was. And when, it, when I did this concert, uh, when we, uh, we got through at the theater, we came out the dressing room, and they had some limos. They were taking us. It was right outside of Tokyo, and they were taking us back into Tokyo. And we came out of the dressing room, and when we did, here was several hundred people lined up outside the dressing room along the, the driveway, and as we got into the limos and drove off, here were they, and they were bowing, and they give the little applause too. But you know, they did the Japanese courtesy as we were going by, you know, to show their appreciation. And I turned to the boys and I said, "Boy, that's really something." I said, "That's something you'll never see." I said, "If this was Oklahoma, they'd probably be throwing beer cans at us." <laughs> that's a great story. <laughs> Do you think you'll be recording again in the near future? Is there a chance to hear some old Hank Thompson hits again, repackaged perhaps in a new way? We have that. We have that on step one. We 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 did the uh, uh, twenty three different songs, you know, Wild Side of Life and Humpty Dumpty, Heart Green Light, and all those. Uh, and also we did uh, Here's to Country Music and a new uh, album, and we did uh, some new things in there, some things I'd written, and uh, we have this in on the back burner right now that we plan to do a. Uh, step one, we're going to do a record. Kitty Wells and I are going to do a duet album together. Now, it won't be all duets and things, but uh, we will do some things together, and then she'll do some of her things. I'll do some of mine. I think that uh, I've talked to Kitty and Johnny both on this and uh, with Ray Pennington at step one, and uh, so I think we can get that going pretty soon, and I know that uh, this is something that the country music fans will welcome. Well, I know I'll welcome it along with all the other thousands of country fans or Hank Thompson fans and have been for years and years. And it's such a joy to sit down and see you after such a long time, Hank. Wish you good luck, good health, and all the very best. Thank you much, Lee. And my, always my pleasure to visit you. The only complaint I got is well, I don't see you often enough. My pleasure. <laughs> Thank you, Hank. We'll make, we'll make up for it. You bet, pal. Hank Thompson, truly a remarkable talent, a legend in Western swing. What a thrill it was to see and hear him perform live. Hank held the audience in the palm of his hands. Well, next time on Country Music Conversations, we'll be talking to one of the most celebrated vocal groups in country music, the Statler Brothers. Until then, Lee Arnold reminding you to stay safe and keep it country. <laughs>